If you blink now, forever hold your dying wish When you set your goal, don't give up on it Remind yourself every morning, noon and night I was born for this, and it's worth the fight Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, guys From the depths of darkness to the light of success This show is all about mental health, addictions, and any stigma we are trying to break. Let's end the stigma around anything anyone's afraid to be talking about and make everyone afraid not to talk about it. But anyways, let's break in a little bit about today's episode with Angelique McLeod. She's a model that is just astounding. The artwork she puts out in her pictures is amazing. We talk about getting sober, writing and becoming an author of her book, Whole Nation, being born to a teen mom, being bullied at school as a child and beaten up regularly, being in an abusive relationship. So there are some trigger warnings in here, guys. We will be talking about her being raped at 13 and discovering the party lines at a young age. Anyways, let's break into today's episode, everyone. If you blink now, forever hold your dying wish. When you set your goal, don't give up on it. Remind yourself every morning, noon, and night. I was born for this, and it's worth the fight. Blink now, forever. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I'm your host, Chris Swick. This podcast can be found over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Anchor FM, or wherever you can find your podcast, you'll find me there. You know, this podcast is about mental health, addictions, or just basically breaking the stigma around anything anyone's afraid to talk about. You know, with no further ado, I have a great guest for you guys today, all the way from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Angelique McLeod. You want to take it away and let them know a little bit about yourself? Hi. Uh, well, I am Angelique McLeod, uh, as you now know, and I am a marketing executive. I also am a model. Uh, I've written my own book uh, called Whole Nation, A Self-Recovery Movement, which is just uh, just about to be published here in the next little bit. And I am a recovered alcoholic. Uh, now three years in the making. Um, I'm also a mom of two beautiful little girls and a Doberman puppy who is now five years old. So I don't know if he's really, yeah, constituted as a, as a puppy anymore, but he is always to me. And, uh, and that's, yeah, a little bit about my world. You say you're three years sober. So take us back to like what it was like when you were drinking and like, what was life like for you? Three, three years ago before you stopped drinking? Yeah, life for me when I, well, before I had started drinking, sorry, stopped drinking, it was dark. It was painful. Most days I would wake up and would immediately turn over um, and reach for for the drawer uh, in my bedside table where I would take a swig of alcohol. And um, that was that was my way of waking up. Uh, I didn't want to face the day. I wanted to escape the day. And I was so worried about every conversation I was going to have with the people around me. I didn't like people and people didn't like me. Um, and I, w- I just always expected the very worst in my day. I didn't have a lot of hope. I was hopeless. And it was just every single day, just a survival of getting to the next hour the next second, um, 
and and being able to to outlive the pain that was just around the corner that was my life so what pain were you masking and what you know feelings and pains were you burying was there stuff that had happened earlier on in your life that you decided to turn to alcohol to not face those feelings and stuff like that yeah i mean you know my life you know when when i talk about it i say you know it started out when I was really young, I was uh, an only child, but I was born to a teen mom. I, um, you know, I, I knew that I was the accessory that was brought along uh, with my parents in their day-to-day lives. I wasn't necessarily cared for or loved. Being told I love you from my dad, I don't think happened until I was a late teenager. Um, I was yelled at and abused and um, and shamed for for most of my childhood. Um, I had no friends. I was socially awkward because my parents were socially awkward and they didn't have any friends. So it was just this nasty cycle of feeling isolated. Um, when I went to school, I was bullied uh, quite heavily and and beaten up. So. I had no real social network. I had no real human connection. And because of that, I felt I felt very lonely and very, I felt bad for being me. I felt wrong for being me because no matter where I went, it seemed like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't enough um, to, to have what, you know, everyone else seemed to have on the surface, which was uh, feeling accepted, feeling worthy. Yeah, fast forward a little bit later on from my teen years, I became pregnant at 19. I uh, had met uh, my ex-husband and um, he was just controlling and we got uh, married because we were pressured into getting married because that's the right Catholic thing to do when you're pregnant. And so... I remember getting married to this person that I didn't love and thinking, well, this is the thing I have to do because it's the right thing to do. I've made my bed. I need to sleep in it. Um, so I stayed married to uh, to my ex-husband and we had, you know, j- not just our one, but we had two children, beautiful little girls. Um, but there was a lot of abuse. It was not just um, physical abuse. It was emotional abuse, psychological abuse, financial abuse. Um, He didn't want to work, so I would work and I wasn't allowed to spend our money. I had to always worry about those bank statements coming in and he would, you know, item by item go through them. And what did you spend the money on here? And it was just terrifying. It was it was absolutely terrifying. It was work became my escape but I wasn't necessarily happy at work. I wasn't happy at home. Again, I didn't feel connected anywhere and I felt wrong for being me. Um, So it turned into uh, an eating disorder. I started to uh, not eat anything. um, And I went from being a healthy, you know, 130 pounds to being uh, 110 pounds. And my, you know, heart was starting to give out. I was starting to become breathless, even just walking up a staircase. And, um, and I hated my life. I hated my life. I hated my marriage. I hated, you know, every conversation I had with anyone because everybody wanted the high level. Hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. No one wanted to talk about the pain. And so I started to just drink. I drank because at the bars, 
I would be able to just sit down and talk to other people who were also feeling pain. And there was that camaraderie between all of us being able to just sit there and talk about how work sucks, family life sucks, you know, and how we could just clink a glass and get along, right? And so it became my go-to, my my self-soothing mechanism where I could I could get away from the the real world and and feel a little bit better every single day. But that was very short-lived. That was very short-lived because eventually it got to the point where the drinking only numbed it, but very short term. And when I would, you know, sober up and, you know, the the very next day feel, you know, like, okay, I've got to do this all over again. Those same concerns, those same worries, those same hard feelings, they came back and it was quite awful, you know, and and I I guess I missed one part of of my story, which I'll maybe just quickly touch on was that. When I was 13 years old, I was uh, I was raped. That was for me one that was that set me up for the rest of my adulthood relationships because I had just come into my looks. I had just all of a sudden, you know, hit my woman body, and um, and knew that I was an attractive girl um, because you know I was getting a lot of validation from you know boys and 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 the men around me but I was raped by a man that I thought loved me. And that was my first interaction with what I thought love was. And so I didn't tell anyone about it because I thought that I was, that that what happened was okay. And um, yeah, it was a 22 year old man who raped me. Four years later, my mother, um, she went through my emails. She decided that she wanted to know what was going on between my, at the time, you know, long distance boyfriend and I, and wanted to see if anything was going up, um, going on that was a little bit sketchy. So she, she broke into my email account and found a conversation that I had um, uh, divulged that I had been raped uh, when I was 13. And she um, confronted me about it and told me that, um, well, she laughed. She didn't believe that 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 had actually happened and said, I think you're just looking for attention. Um, so that set me up for not trusting anyone um, at all around problems and being able to to share what I had gone through and what pain I had experienced and that feeling of being used. Again, that alcohol became that self-soothing mechanism so that I could actually get through it, but on my own. So when was it that you sort of took your first drink? Was it after you had been raped there, Angelique? It was actually, yeah, it was, it was before that, to be honest. Um, my parents kept their alcohol in the basement of our house and it was, you know, just kind of there and, and on display. So I remember, yeah, going downstairs when it was, it was during the times that I was being bullied at school, because like I said, I had been bullied all throughout my school life. And what types of things were they bullying you for at school? Like you said you didn't feel a part of, but like, were they picking on you for certain things, certain reasons? It was honestly, it was everything from my clothes. You know, we were poor. So 
you know, going to the to the mall to get the very best clothes wasn't an option for us. So, I mean, you know, my, my mom didn't have the best fashion. <laughs> so, you know, she she dressed me like a, a little cabbage patch doll. It was it was a little bit frightening. But, um, yeah, I had um, I had been picked on for for the way I dressed. I was picked on for the way that I tried to talk to the kids because I was an only child. So I. And, and I hadn't had any friends um, up until going into school. So it was, um, you know, I was trying to have adult conversations because that's all I knew how to have. You were just hanging out with adults all the time or around your parents and that was it. So that's what you heard. Is exactly. So I wanted to have deeper conversations with, with children and children had no idea what I was talking about. And so they could sense I was different and children do, right? Children... Are, are so um, good at spotting differences um, and calling them out. And I don't know if it's cruel, you know, it's just simply they're observing and they're used to shouting out what they observe. So I was, uh, I was not that, that child who fit in. I definitely stood out. Um, and so, yeah, it was a lot of picking on me for that. And I, you know, would desperately try every single day to change up my strategy. Um, you know, who am I going to be today? What am I going to say today? How am I going to dress today so that they'll like me? And, and each time that I would tweak it just a little bit, it, it seemed like I was getting even further away from making friends. Um, so it was it was so challenging and, and, you know, going to school and being pushed around and having the children throw rocks at me at the park. And, um, you know, back then it was, you know, everybody's going to sit on the gym floor in a circle and they wouldn't make room for me. So I would have to sit on the outskirts of that circle, or I would just go into the, into the bathrooms at lunch and, and eat there. And then when they found out that I was, they would go into the bathroom and throw food at me and, um, in the bathroom stall and kick the doors and scream at me. And, um, and it was just, it was like being in a prison and that's what I had to keep waking up and going to. And, and, um, you know, my parents didn't understand. And the teachers at that time, there was no real anti-bullying back in the early nineties. So they, you know, it was just sort of actually suck it up, you know, get over it. So, um, so yeah. I hate that word when people say suck it up like it's right? it's not that it's not that easy just to suck it up and keep moving forward yeah and I and I've been you know guilty of using that over the years though too but then coming out with my own struggles and stuff like that I, I can see past that now you know you can't just tell someone to just suck it up and move forward you know you don't you need to put yourself in other people's shoes and exactly. I hate that word <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, you know, stuff your feelings so that we can feel better about ourselves, you know, <laughs> that's kind of how it is. But um, yeah, I mean, so I would go down into the basement and I didn't really understand alcohol, right? You know, I, I just knew that the adults could drink it and children couldn't, right? And I didn't understand why. So I would have, you know, a, a sip here or there, but I didn't drink enough to, to get drunk. Right. However, it was entering into my system and it was becoming normal even at that age for me to be around alcohol. When I was 13, I, um, because I was, you know, at that point raped 
There was nothing more off the table for me. So, and I was exploring my sexuality. I had, there were party lines at the time. I don't know if you remember party lines and, and those dial-in phone numbers that you could call and, and, you know, chat with different people. And so I had found those around 13 and I, I would call them and I would, you know, chat with adults. Right. And it was suddenly like, oh, I have this network of friends again. And, you know, I ran into a, a girl who had said, you know, I'm looking for um, a single girl out there who's looking for, um, you know, a, a relationship with me and my boyfriend. And I thought, well, this sounds like fun. Right. And she's like, yeah, we'll go to the bars and we'll have a great time. And so I remember because I, I had grown into my looks oddly enough at 13. So I looked like I was 18 when I was 13, um, which is unusual, but I did. So, um, I met them at a bar and I wasn't ID'd. And so I got to drink with them. We entered into a relationship and, you know, they were much older than I was. Um, they kept it a secret and I kept it a secret and it was just a fun time. But that exposed me to alcohol because, you know, he was he was dealing drugs, I believe. You know, it was it was it was quite scary looking back at what I got myself into. This relationship was that connection that I had been longing for for such a long time. And I had access to, you know, drugs and alcohol, and I could numb out as much as I needed or wanted to. That was where it really started. And that became the crutch. And then later on in life, you know, as I got as as alcohol became legal and accessible for me to, to have, it was just that was the only option. It started at a young age, just like myself too. You know, I went through some trauma as a child, a little younger than what happened to you, but still it's, so that's when my behaviors changed in school and the, you know, I'd never been suspended before at school, but I started acting out at school after the stuff that had happened to me too and acting out in different ways. And like yourself, like there was, it wasn't readily available, but I made sure, but I cleared the whole, like my dad never bought liquor again because of me at such a young age, because I just started coming home at lunch from school and drinking it and then going back to school and whatnot. So, you know, I started at such a young age too. And it, it became a distraction for you. Exactly. And then like yeah. I switched schools and then it even got worse from there. You know, I started smoking cigarettes, you know, in grade six or seven and then my friend's mother had marijuana readily available. So we tried that and it just went on from there. And then I started abusing my prescription drugs. You know, I was on Ritalin at such isn't a young that, age. Isn't that funny how that works? You know, one addiction is just the launching off point for multiple addictions. And it's not necessarily the substance. It's just that behavior, that pattern that we create in ourselves of I need something. It doesn't really matter what. And that was that was the way it was for me. It didn't matter what it was, as long as it was a substance of some sort, I guess that that mind mood or altering substance, that's all that mattered to me, as long as it made me feel different, I guess. And I felt like I fit in every time I took a drink or went to the bar, you know, or it gave me that courage to go talk to a woman at the bar, but I didn't need, you know what I mean? Then come later on in life. I, I don't need that though. <laughs> Just, that's I needed, right. to, I needed yeah. to find my sense of self and stuff like that. And that's what I've been doing over the last couple of years now. And, you know, I don't need all those other things to feel good. You know, I can have a great time sober or clean. Absolutely. And, and, you know, something that I don't think a lot of people talk about is that 
yes, substances are where a lot of us go, but I mean, myself included, it's also people, right? We can use people as well to extract from, um, you know, and, and fill that void by just relationship hopping, right? And constantly needing that validation from people that, you know, okay, you know, I'm wanted, right? I'm wanted, right? And so there's that as well. And and for me, that was also part of my addictive behavior was... Yeah, I ended up with people sometimes that I didn't want to be with her in relationships that I really didn't, you know, I look back, like, why was I in that relationship? Like, I didn't, you know, I, I guess at the time I felt wanted or whatever, in my opinion, but at the end of the day, it really wasn't where I wanted to be or it didn't fit my, you know, when I look back now, my morals and values, the relationship I'm in today is where I want to be though. You know, it fits my morals, my values, you know, and I feel exactly. like truly reciprocated back and forth, you know, both ways. Exactly. Yep. Love and that. then, and for sure, like, like sometimes it's nice just to, you got to be by yourself sometimes to know those things or know what you want. And sometimes I've rushed into things too, and I shouldn't have. There's so much there that you just hit the nail on, you know, which is that time alone, right? We don't typically spend time alone because we're so busy distracting. We're so busy doing something with other people or needing to be on, you know, producing, right? And I find or I found that last year in 2020, um, you know, when the whole world tipped upside down, um, I got pneumonia in March. So I thought it was COVID. And I was forced to self-isolate. And, you know, that was the hardest thing to do because I had always been escaping. I'd always been trying to get away from, you know, being alone because that was not a comfortable space for me. And what I found at the end of the month, because it took me about a month to get better, was that that alone time gave me my voice and it gave me so much that I had lost. Um, and I learned that I didn't have to be dependent on anyone. And in fact, those relationships I had been dependent on were holding me back and I was starting to get resentful towards them, right? So that alone time has become so important to me over this last little bit probably to the you know polar opposite degree of where I was before, where I now thrive when I'm alone and I don't thrive when I'm with other people. Surround yourself, like I say so many times, with the people you want to be like, or, you know, if you surround yourself with negative, that's what you're going to turn into a lot of the time, you know, or that negative energy will consume you. I, I try my best not to surround myself with that negative energy, even at work and stuff like that. Like if there's negative energy going on, I'll just walk away and go do my own thing or mm -hmm. find Absolutely. my own little corner or go outside for a walk or walk around for a few minutes or something. An adult timeout, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong yes. with them. <laughs> and yeah, and it really is. It's about, you know, putting yourself in the field of energy that is that is you know exceptionally positive and 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 inspiring i want to be inspired when i'm around other people because life is far too short to sit where you are and far too short to to feel blah right and i i think that yeah you i, I saw that video of you and and your your wife um, the other day um, on on Instagram and just the playfulness 
and that happiness, right? And and I could see that, you know, you have really put um, your life together in a way that has that has given you that that opportunity to play and be inspired, right? It's it's and that's if, if you can do that, you can thrive everywhere. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, uh, it's more me that be silly. She doesn't even know I do half the crap. I just do it. <laughs> <laughs> but she likes to ask to check it out before we post it. <laughs> yes, of course, as she should. <laughs> yeah, but but no, yeah, no. That's just that's us being silly half the time and just having fun, you know. And that's that's what life's about, you know. And even though we are, we are, and we're, you know, we're open about going through therapy together separately, but we're, you know, working through things that have happened from our past. And she has a past, everyone has a past and a story, as I like to say, but like we're working together to be a stronger couple, you know, in the, in the months to come, hopefully and stuff, you know, working back towards that. So it's amazing. And, you know, we connect through our vulnerabilities. We don't connect by saying that everything's okay. I find that the the best relationships are the ones where you can say, this isn't working. This isn't okay. This is not, you know, I, I feel like shit being here in this moment, right? And just being able to be vulnerable like that and know that that person has the opportunity to feel whatever they're going to feel is a reaction to in response to what you just said. Feeling safe enough to say it and know that they're not going to walk away, but that they're going to actually hear you and say, all right, you know what? We don't come with a rule book when we're born. We don't have a guide as to how to navigate these relationships together. And so let's let's try to, to figure this out together, right? I've stepped, I've overstepped your boundaries or I've done something that has, has upset you. Um, let's back up and figure this out. And I might be able to change the way that you feel. I might not be able to, but you know, this is, this is all about navigating together, right? Yeah. I think that when you learn unconditional love or unconditional connection, it isn't as scary as when you're dealing with superficial conditional connection and love. No, most definitely. I totally agree with you there. And I like that you say that about overstepping boundaries or listening to someone about their feelings and stuff like that. And that's one thing that I've actually been working on a lot instead of trying to have a solution. Like I've talked about in the past, you know, just be there as their sounding board and just let them, you know, ask them how you can support them or is there a way I can, you know, help you through this or support you through this? You know, is there something I can do to support you and stuff like that? Instead of here's a solution, this is how we're going to fix it. You, Absolutely. Not, not everyone's always looking for a solution or whatever. They're just looking for you to listen to them and stuff. And I've been learning that through therapy. Yes. And I mean, we all want to be seen and we all want to be heard. That's so important, right? So by just being there and listening, right, it's I hear you. And and one of the exercises that that I've been, you know, working really hard on is, you know, with other people or even with myself is if there is a feeling, you know, a negative feeling, I, I will ask the question, you know, even if it's just with myself and I'll give an example is, you know, maybe I'm having a terrible day. And instead of me trying to fix that feeling um, and or stuff it away and say, no, 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 no that's the wrong feeling. I need a, a better feeling. I'll just ask myself, you know, sweetheart, what are you feeling? You know, the answer might be, I feel, I feel alone. 
I feel rejected and I feel alone. Okay, sweetheart, I know that you're feeling rejected and alone. I, I, I see that and I feel that with you. And what else, right? Well, I feel, I feel abandoned, okay? You feel abandoned, right? And, and it's acknowledging. It's just taking a moment to just stop and say, I'm going to give space to my feelings because those are my feelings. And there's nothing wrong with observing the situation the way it's played out and observing these feelings. Because if I'm not giving myself permission to feel these and to parent myself through them by saying, sweetheart, it's okay. I get it, right? I get that, that this is the feeling, have it, what else, right? And just keep delving further and further and further until there really is, is nothing that I want to say, right? There's nothing left to, to talk about. And then I just thank myself, you know, thank you. Thank you for for being brave enough just to get through all of that. And you know what? I feel better. I feel better when I do that because I'm not trying to escape it. I'm just allowing myself to observe it and feel it and hear it. I like that you say that. It's a, I learned something recently too at therapy. Uh, basically like the water, you need the water bottle empty. You don't want to have it fill up and fill up. So I've started checking in with myself, you know, three, four times through the day. And I have an alarm that goes off at work and people just look at me, but I don't care. But uh, <laughs> just, I just, you know, I'll take that time just to go outside, whether it's a walk around and just check in with myself, even if it's for five minutes, just to see where I'm at and then come back, you know, and then even when you come before you come home and step, step through the front door, check in with yourself, just to leave everything that happened at work. If it was bad or good, just leave it there and come into, you know, a fresh time at home for the evening sort of thing. And you never want to have Absolutely. that water bottle full or half full even. You want to try and keep it as empty as possible. So. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's it's great. And, and it's good that you, you set an alarm because I think so many of us just sort of, you know, check it away in our minds. Okay. Yeah. Note to self, have to, you know, check in with myself a couple of times a day and we forget, you know, the day rolls on. And we forget and we don't have that time to reset and bring ourselves back to baseline, right? So we just keep, you know, on this upward stressful tra trajectory throughout the day where, you know, it all becomes too much, right? So yeah, setting an alarm, that's a great idea. Yeah, no, I find it very helpful just to set that alarm or one other reminders. I use the phone, like there's so many more things on the phone than just going on social media. Like you can use your phone for so many things these days. And right. Even the health your... app. God bless that. <laughs> yeah, that too. Like, you know, I'll, or, or the smartwatch or whatever. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> you <know>? right. Yeah. <laughs> breathe. Just breathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Angelique, what do you think your unique skill or skills is that have helped you become successful? My self-awareness, you know, I, I've always been told that I am self-aware and I didn't really know what that meant for a long time until, um, you know, probably 2020 and being able to look at my life, look at my patterns, look at the thoughts and feelings and say, all right, why, why am I acting this way? Why am I triggered by that? And, and picking apart and analyzing myself to bits. And I mean, you know, I'll give you a bit of an example. When I had first given up alcohol, um, and, I, and I hadn't really thought about this until recently, but 
when I had given it up, I, you know, the first thing that we're told, go to AA, right? Um, and so I, I, I participated in uh, a, a couple months worth of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I was there, you know, the, the, prob- the problem wasn't necessarily the program. The problem was that I wasn't receptive to the way that it was being delivered. Um, and I didn't feel like I fit with the other people who were there. Um, many times I would go during my lunch hour in, you know, Foothills Industrial, Calgary, which is, you know, um, not not the the you know the best place. Um, you know, a lot of the people who were showing up to our meetings didn't have jobs, hadn't had jobs in a really long time. Um, you know, I was the only person who was working there, um, and I just felt like the misfit. Who didn't belong there, right? So again, it was just feeding into that I'm not right, not here, I don't belong. So I gave up going to AA. Um, I have the big book still, um, but I, I gave up going. Part of giving up going was the fact too that so many people would just keep coming to group with the same struggle that they talked about the week before, and it wasn't getting fixed. And so we were spending our time going through the same problems, the same issues. And that frustrated me because I'm, I feel like I'm a fast learner. And so I had the answer in my head, but you can't say that, you can't share that, right? So it's just sort of trying to button my mouth the entire time while feeling a lot of anxiety. So I didn't go back and I thought, okay, well, if I can't go back to that program or I'm, I, I don't feel like I can, then how am I going to fix my problem? You know, when I sat and and analyzed myself, I thought, okay, alcohol has become the band-aid for me, not the cure. Because every single time that I, you know, come out of being drunk, I have those same problems and I feel the same pain. So it's a band-aid. Now, what is that Band-Aid covering up? And the Band-Aid for me was low self-esteem and feelings of being unworthy. I went to a chapters that, you know, that very next day, and I went to the self-help section and I grabbed every book that I could, you know, think of that would help, you know, uh, Louise Hay, um, you know, Healing Your Life, right? Um, There was... There was a number of, of books that were, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Workbooks and, and you know, how to journey to, to being the better you. And, and it was just, I grabbed six books that day. I raced through all of them. And it was funny because by the end of that month of just reading and putting myself first when it came to, okay, I need to feel better. So I'm going to work on all these things and I'm going to absorb as much information as I can. It was quite addictive actually, right? Researching ways to feel better. I noticed that the cravings stopped. I didn't feel the need anymore to go to alcohol. I felt the the need to continue to, 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 to provide myself the, the opportunity for self-growth. And so anytime that I find that I'm not reading or I'm not trying to invest in my personal self-growth and that self-love journey, that I start to go dark again. And that's my that's that's the little red flag that goes off that says, okay, back on that train, right? Because you're gonna start to spiral downwards. And that's what's been my saving grace is just being able to 
to look at myself and to really identify what is going on in my head. Because the way I see the world is absolutely the way that I see myself. And it's just mirroring back towards me what's what's going wrong. I love that you say that, just having that self-awareness and figuring out like what you want in your life or what like your triggers are and all those types of things. And you have to figure that out for yourself at the end of the day. No one else can do that for you. So it's nice that you have that self-awareness of where you want to be, or you can see yourself going down that whole rabbit hole, whatever you want to call it, the red flags go off and you sort of ring yourself back. Because if you don't, like you said, you're just going to go down that hole and you'll end up with a bottle in your hand again at some point. Because we live on, we live by default, right? Like our brains are lazy. They don't want to have to learn anything new because they're, you know, reliant on that subconscious, right? So if if your brain can just slide through the day being totally subconscious, you're, it, you know, it, it's a happier brain, right? So you'll always switch back to that default because you've lived that default for so long that it's not your standard typical path now, right? So yeah, you always have to be aware because your your mind is going to sabotage you every step of the way. You have to retrain it and retraining it is going to take years. Oh, totally. The years and years it's going to take. Like I quit doing hard drugs. Like I smoked crack cocaine for 20 plus years almost like since my late teens and it's going to take a long time, but with the therapy I'm doing and just changing the way I think and the way I do things, it's slowly starting to help, you know, and I see change and, but it's not going to happen overnight. Like I'm building a better relationship with my kids because I was so absent for so many years. Mm -hmm. Like I was physically there, but not mentally, you know, I wasn't present at all. Like it, It was me, the drugs, and then they came or then my partner came. It was never putting anyone first, but me and the drugs or the drugs yeah. and me. So you got to put yourself, you know, you got to put yourself first, make sure you're aware of your surroundings. Now get rid of those friends. I like to tell everyone that, or I don't even call them friends, acquaintances that didn't do you any good in your life or change your phone number, do what you have to do to better you. So you can be there for your family, your friends and stuff like that. But it all starts with you. You know, I always, I always say it, it's, it's kind of, I, I know that my very best friend hates when I say this, but, um, you know, I say you're only as good as, as the person who's the weakest link in your circle. If you have someone who is constantly dragging you down, you need to stand up and walk away or you need to release that relationship because you're constantly going to be sucked in with them as well. Um, you know, it, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, fill your circle like your life is too precious and too short to waste time with people who are going to create that toxicness for you right that toxicity being inspired and creating an inspired life is priority number one and so I'm really I'm, I'm you know pleased that that you mentioned how important relationships are because they really are and you know if you don't feel good in in any of them Time to release and let go and don't feel bad about it. You know, we're not a, a um, we're not obligated to be with anyone and our happiness should never be attached to someone else's happiness. You hit it bang on there, most definitely. And, you know, or another good word, eradicate them. 
get rid of them like you said if they're doing you no good in your life you know delete block whatever if you see a message that's sent to you that you don't like you don't have to read it or open it you can literally delete it and block that person Mm-hmm. Do whatever you got to do at all costs. You notice if you have to set boundaries, set boundaries. There's nothing wrong with boundaries. I used to think there was a, so many things wrong with boundaries. You know, am I going to hurt that person? What are they going to think if I do this or do that? Well, no, I'm doing it for my own mental sanity, though, and and not wanting that negative negativity in my life anymore sort of thing. So you have yeah. to set boundaries. But don't you think that it's been you know, programmed into us at an early age that we need to, you know, that we need to be uh, polite, right? We need to be polite and politeness wasn't, you know, just being kind. Politeness became, you know, you need to stuff what you feel and what you think down and make that other person feel good or feel right or, you know, worry about their feelings, right? Um, and I think that that in childhood, you know, like forcing children to have to give somebody else a hug. I know that that was a big thing when I was a, a, a little girl and that's not something that we should be doing. We shouldn't be telling a child, you know, go over there and, and say that thing to that person, right? Because we're training them to go against how they feel to make someone else feel better. And we are never to be in charge of someone else's feelings. We are are we should never feel obligated that we have to make things right for that person. It is an individual journey that they need to be able to fix themselves and we need to be able to fix ourselves. It's so true. You can't force anyone to do anything. Let your kids or whomever it is be them be themselves and if they do something wrong, that's for them to learn or figure out though. It's so true. Like yeah, but if if you're but I I do want to say that like if if your kids are doing something bad or if they're beating someone up at school and there's no and and there's no reason for them to doing that, then yeah, you got to give them shit. Oh, for or whatever. sure. Yeah. But but but, <laughs> but sure. I mean like but 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 I totally get what you're saying though. Like if someone else is feeling bad because it's something they've done though and done to themselves, there's no need for you to tell someone how to go make them feel though or you know, let's go cheer yeah, them. Yeah, we don't need to fix. Dug their own right? grave. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and so many of us want to fix everyone around us. And I think it's, you know, there's a kindness to it, right? Where we we want people to like us. We want, you know, them to to feel good when they're around us. But, you know, we also can't do it at our own expense. No, not at all. Most definitely you cannot do it or uh, get pleasure at your own expense or someone else's expense. You just have to take care of your side of the street and everyone will take care of their side of the street, hopefully. And if they don't, that's not our problem, though. We can only take care of our actions, our feelings. We can't take care of everyone else's. We're not all healers here. That's right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so what are three things you do for yourself on a daily basis, Angelique, that takes care of your mental health or keeps your mental health in check? You know, for me, it's starting my day with at least 30 minutes of me time. And me time can just be as simple as pouring myself a cup of coffee um, and, you know, sitting on the couch with my with my dog, you know, lying there right beside me, you know, and just 
going through, you know, Instagram feeds or responding to emails, you know, just something that I find to be just, you know, sort of mindless, right? Mindless and, and, you know, ease into the day. Um, as part of that, I always look for a quote to start my day. Um, something that's inspiring that I can, you know, uh, launch off from, um, into my day. So, um, that's, that's number one for me. Uh, the second part is to make one meaningful connection. It can be with someone that I don't know. It can be with someone that I do. Um, you know, it, it's as simple for me as, you know, uh, last, last weekend I decided to go on to Instagram and I, and I thought I want to just surprise just a few people with a good morning message. I just want to say, you know, I hope you have an incredible day. And, you know, and that's, that was it. I just, I thought I want to do something kind for someone and, and, and connect. So, you know, did that and wow, like, you know, so many people were just taken by surprise and, and loved it. Right. But it's, I, you know, always connect in some way with someone, um, at least one person every single day. And then the third thing that I do is I always, you know, go for a walk always, you know, whether it's by myself, whether it's, um, you know, with my dog, whether it's with the kids, doesn't, doesn't really matter who, um, or if, if it's just me, but I'll do it and I won't have any music on and I'll just listen for the birds and, you know, I'll, I'll let nature sort of seep into me. And that's so important for me because nature, I, I think, it takes you away from all of the distractions. It takes you away from, um, from the thought that you need to produce and you need to be and you need to do more. Um, and it allows you to just simply be who you are and to feel good, you know, with the wind rustling, like, you know, rustling through the trees or those birds chirping, or maybe you'll come across a moose like I did on the weekend, right? And all of a sudden it's just, you're, you're inspired. You're inspired and nothing had to be bought to inspire you. It just grounds you again and resets. So those are the three things that, that I do every day. I, I like that you say that with the connecting part. I love connecting with people, like you said, or just sending a good morning message or a video message or whatever it is. I like to send a voice message or a video message. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't mind texting, but I can get through, a, get a lot more across in a video or a or a voice message, but I like that you do that though too. And just, just inspiring someone or, you know, you never know what someone else is feeling. Like I like to say, and you may have just made their day and made them happy and brought some life back into them, whatever it was they were going through. Totally. And, and I'd love to hear from you, you know, what are, what are those three things for you? Because I, I would love to learn what, what works for you as well. Well, I like to get up. I try not to, you know, I'm getting better. But I try to just be with myself or I'll get up and read, you know, even if it's 10 pages from a book that I'm reading, I like to start that up. That, that, that's the way I like to start the day mm-hmm. and get a nice cup of coffee too. Just, uh, but sometimes, and then I'll go through my thoughts or sometimes I will, I don't write down as often as I should. I got to get back into writing again, but I, but I do like to write like just a gratitude list. Uh, you know, I am grateful or how I'm feeling. And mm-hmm. the third one. You know, I got to kick the habit 
but it's you know I, I don't know why but i still like to gravitate to that smoke and, and i shouldn't but <laughs> no but, um, you know what don't don't shit all over yourself that's the- no i'm not but but that's an, but but i but i go out there and i just i i, I listen to nature while i sit on the front porch <laughs> yeah and and that that is beautiful i mean so much of of what both of us you know have have said in our in our three um three three things is that calming calming is what is is that part of us that we need to do you know we need to nurture more right the reading the the writing out the gratitude the you know being around nature the you know enjoying a, a little smoke here and there right like it's it's all of a sudden this this gateway into i just want to bring myself down to baseline and just calm and to feel peace right that that really is our natural state and i don't want to ever underplay that is that we have a natural state and it is rest it is feeling that peace and it's not our fault that we all live in a in a hyper uh, you know, go, go, go type of society, right? That's always, you know, asking of us and taking from us. And we always need to do something or be something to, to be successful. Um, you know, we need to spend more time getting back there because that's when the thoughts become clear. That's when the feelings become clear. That's when decision-making becomes easier and where we feel happiest, right? Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that you, you asked that question. Thank you. You're very welcome. No, I like asking that to all my guests. It's, you get a different answer from everyone and, you know, it's just nice to hear what others do, but I like the, my favorite one from you is just connecting with others. I I love connecting with people every day, whether it's someone new or whether it's, you know, just taking that 10 minutes just to make a phone call to my son who lives a few hours away or, Mm -hmm snapchatting back and forth with my six-year-old all day just there she has an old phone at her mom's and and she'll send silly messages or silly videos through the day and stuff and totally but but it's fun though and you and you just connect you know just feel that connection because you I don't see my kids all the time but when I do have them I try and enjoy that time with them now but at least we have you know social media or that you know technology today where we can sort of feel connected still even though you're not with them which is nice though Totally. Well, and I, I mean, you know, on, on those days where, you know, cause they come up every once in a while, there are days where you don't want to connect with anyone. Right. But you still need to force yourself because, you know, the moment that you do, you do feel better. Right. Be choosy as to who you want to connect with, of course. Right. Cause there are those people who are soul suckers. Don't connect with those, but you know, find those people that you recall laughing with. And those are the people that you need to spend that time with because they will, you know, they are life giving, right? Find those life giving friends and connect with them. Oh, most definitely, Angelique. Most definitely. Before we go though, what big decision will have a huge pimp impact on your upcoming future? What huge decision? I think the huge decision for me is going to be with respect to my modeling and my upcoming book that that I'm working on getting published. And what's that book called again? I know you mentioned it at the beginning, but for anyone Whole that didn't hear. Nation, a self-recovery movement. I'm thinking of self-publishing uh, it. I'm not too sure because, you know, there's always that that thought in my head that maybe somebody's going to do it, but then I'm impatient. So I want to do it myself. So I don't know. So 
you know, um, that book, I think I want to share that book with you actually. So I'm going to make sure that you get a copy, but, um, you know, getting that out there, I think is going to be huge. And then the other part of it is with my modeling. I've, I've shown people my, you know, that pretty persona, right. That, you know, the, the standard typical model presence, I want to stretch that. I want to show people edge and I want to bring the captions of, of my stories. I want to make them a little bit more authentic. You know, I'm, I'm already quite authentic in them, but I want to connect with people on issues like eating disorders. I want to connect with people when it comes to sobriety. I want to, I want to speak to people about, you know, um, you know, using people, um, you know, in order to feel better. And so it's, I want to, to completely shed my ego and have those conversations with people that, you know, I, I'm not too sure what the response is going to be like, but there's something about being completely authentic with people that I feel like I need to do. And that's going to be the game changer. I like that you use that word authenticity or being authentic. You know, if you be your true authentic self, people do come and gravitate to you because people can see through the bullshit and, you know, the lies or, you know, you not being your true authentic self online or in yeah, living with person. that filter, right? <laughs> We're all too filtered. It's so true. It's so true. Well, before we go, where can everyone find you to, you know, find you on your journey and follow your story sort of thing? I found you on Instagram myself, and that seemed to be where you're most active. But where, is there anywhere else that you, they can find you? Yeah, no, my Instagram uh, is really that place for me that I kind of bear all and it's going to become even more of a, of a, um, you know, everyone can see my, my journey unfold. Um, so yeah, it's just A-M-A-C-L-E-O-D, A McLeod underscore B-A. So feel free to follow and, and I'll, yeah, absolutely love to connect with anyone. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Angelique, and sharing your story. It was a very inspiring one, and I definitely learned lots from it. So thank you again. And everyone, yeah, go head over to Instagram and follow Angelique McLeod. And you can follow the show, if you'd like, at Depths of Darkside. Or if you feel like emailing any inquiries or you'd like to be a guest, email me, depthsofdarkside at gmail.com. Thanks again, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who listened to today's episode. If you'd like to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hit that subscribe button and you'll be able to get notifications when each episode comes out. Now, let's break down. You know, I learned so much from today's episode. Angelique is a beautiful, beautiful soul and has an amazing story. And I hope you learned a lot from her story as well. So much value and packed into today's episode. Now, for the next upcoming guest, we have Alexandra Camara, endometriosis warrior. She's an endometriosis advocate, and she's also the founder of Endometriosis Foundation of Canada. And she lives in the city I live in today, Guelph, Ontario, fighting for those women that live with endometriosis. Can't wait to bring you this one, guys. Now have a great day.